today, we are going to return back to the question that the Jehovah's Witness printed, presented to me from Colossians chapter 1 when they just said, listen, Jesus is a created being. It says he's the firstborn of creation. And I think we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus God? And what do the scriptures tell us about the person of Christ? Now, regarding the identity of Jesus, we looked at a couple of verses last week that say, Paul says, hey, I'm just warning you guys, there are going to be people who come and they present a different Jesus than the one that I've presented to you. They're going to try to distort the gospel. And we've seen even religions to this day are presenting different Jesuses. The Jesus of Jehovah's Witness is a created being. They don't worship him. The Jesus of Mormonism is a brother to Satan. The Jesus of Islam is just a really nice prophet. The Jesus of Judaism is a good teacher. The Jesus of Hinduism is another God. But we have to ask ourselves, is the Jesus of Mormonism and Hinduism and Islam the Jesus of the scriptures? Or is he a Jesus of our own making? Someone that we have just created and tacked on the name Jesus to. We're going to ask ourselves today, is Jesus truly God? These religions all deny that. If you remember, there were questions about Jesus' deity even when he was alive. Rather, his identity. Matthew chapter 16, I think it is, Jesus asks his disciples, who, who are people saying that I am? Anyone remember the replies that his disciples throw out? Who, who do people think that Jesus is? Uh, that's not what people were saying. When, when Jesus asked that question, the disciples throw out, well, some think you're John the Baptist. Some think you might be Elijah. Some think you could be Jeremiah the prophet, or, or you could just be any prophet. And then Jesus directs the question to them and says, but who do you think that I am? And we have that timeless answer from Peter, and he says what? You are the Christ, the Son of God. We're going to get to that verse in a second there. And this was not some low-hanging truth that Peter affirms as if anyone could have said, Oh, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Right? Remember what Jesus says to him. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Who did? God the Father revealed to Peter, that he was the son of God. And I think it's safe to assume that to this day, since Jesus' arrival, people have been getting the identity of Jesus wrong. And I would take that a step further, and rather than them just getting it wrong, they are being actively misled and blinded to the reality of who Jesus actually is. Take, for instance, this verse on the screen here. We considered this in Sunday morning just a couple of weeks ago, where we read, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Notice what these people are not seeing here about Christ. They're not seeing his glory they're not seeing that he is the image of God. That is what people are being blinded to. We're going to look at what it means 
to, for Christ to be God's image, but to this day, like Peter, to comprehend who Christ is, to rightly know him as scripture reveals him, takes a supernatural work. It takes a spiritual work of God to remove these blinders. It takes the Holy Spirit drawing us to himself to see who Christ is in all of his glory so that we can fall on our face in faith and repentance. And I want to make the case today that the deity of Christ has eternal significance. We cannot be wishy-washy on this matter that, ah, maybe Christ is created, maybe he's not. Jesus is almighty God. To illustrate that, let me show you what John says about the reason why he wrote his gospel in John chapter 20. We read, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So let me ask you guys, looking at that verse, why does John say why he wrote his gospel? To illustrate what truth about Jesus? That he is a mere man? That he is a created being? Why did John write this gospel? For what purpose? To illustrate what? That Jesus is the Son of God. And when you understand who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, then the result is that by believing in that Christ, the Jesus who is the Son of God, you may have life in his name. And while the deity of Christ seems very straightforward to us, maybe many of us have never even questioned that before throughout church history, there have been people who have risen up and said, I don't think Jesus is God. And they would use scripture to support that wrong belief. In fact, people would even look at the language of this verse and say that they don't think that Jesus is God. Is there anything in this verse here that might tip you off as to an argument that people would make for Jesus not being God Almighty? Yes, Hutch. Yes. Did you guys hear Hutch? He's the Son of God. People look at this title, Son of God, and they say, it's pretty clear. They think son, they think offspring, they think created, and if created, if offspring, then lesser than God, and they would see this title, son of God, and say, seems pretty clear to me. If he's God's son, his lesser, his offspring, then he's technically not God. He's created. And maybe that's something you've never encountered before or never even thought of before. But let me tell you, this is being used. I, I read an article just this week, again, on the Jehovah's Witness website, and they said, he's the son of God. We, we don't worship him. People look at phrases like this, like Jesus saying, the Father is greater than I am, like Jesus being called the firstborn of creation, and they say scripture affirms and supports this take. And let me just tell you this morning, lest you find or think that your faith and your beliefs are on shaky ground because of titles and verses like this, let me assure you that scripture is sufficient to put to death these false doctrines. 
we are going to look at the scriptures, the ones that talk about Jesus being the Son of God, and we're going to evaluate, is this really what it's talking about, that Jesus is really a lesser or a created being? I'll let you guys decide that. But the Bible leaves no other conclusion than that Jesus is Almighty God. And I want to give you a brief history before we look at the scriptures of this belief that Jesus is created. So the two main proponents of our day are Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that Jesus is created. Those have only been around since about the 1800s, so give or take 200 years. But this heresy actually extends back to early, 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 early church history. We're talking like 300s AD, when already people were saying, I think Jesus is created. I don't think he's God eternal. And really how it began was kind of involving the doctrine of the Trinity. There was a real effort at this time to try and describe the Trinity. Now, as we understand it, well, it, this belief that Jesus is God is by this guy named Arius, but scripture reveals the Trinity to be one God with three persons. And people are trying to understand how this works without veering into the weeds of polytheism. No one is willing to say that there are three gods. We, we, God says he's one. So they're trying to understand the Trinity, and a couple different solutions are put forth as to what might be going on in scripture, when we read about the spirit and the son. And so one guy, uh, this heresy was called modalism, said that there is one God, yes, but there are three manifestations of him. So sometimes the father, excuse me, sometimes God, it reveals himself as the father. In other situations, God reveals himself as the spirit. In other situations, there's a third personality that God has, and it's the son. And what do we say to that? No, it's not one God that has personality disorder. That, that, that's not right. Okay, so Aria, Arius, in reaction to that, offered this solution. He said, there is just one God, yes, but he only has one person. And so in an attempt to explain that view of the Trinity, Arius then has to do something with whom? With Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. And he's looking at the scriptures and he's reading things that talk about Jesus being the son, the firstborn of creation, Jesus saying, I'm thirsty, I'm tired, Jesus bearing the frailties of humanity. And he says, well, Jesus must not be God. He must be a created being. This heresy actually gained considerable traction and was later condemned at a church council, the Council of Nicaea. But with the condemnation of Arius and his heresy, didn't mean that this just kind of faded into non-existence. As I've said just a couple minutes ago, this is alive and well in Mormonism, in the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, that there's just one God with one person, the Father, and Jesus and the Spirit are a nice force and a created being. I don't know what their teaching is on the spirit, but he is not God according to them. So what I would like to do now is to examine the title, Son of God, as the scripture reveals it, and see if there's any legitimacy to what they're saying about Jesus being the Son of God. Is he really created? Would the scriptures support this? Can it withstand our scrutiny that Son of God means, yeah, Jesus is created? 
He is uh, not eternal God. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. This title, Son of God, occurs 40 times in the New Testament. It's not that Jesus was called this once, and the Arians are building their whole worldview off of one instance in which Jesus is called the Son of God. No, it's 40 instances. So we should be able to look at any one of these and conclude, yeah, 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 you guys are onto something. You're right. Let's see what the scriptures have to say about this. I'll, I'll put them up on the screen for you. Matthew 14, 32 and 33 say this. Let me give you a little bit of context before I do. This is when the really famous account when Jesus is walking on the water. Peter gets all excited, hops out of the boat to walk towards him. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, but doubt begins to seep in, and he sinks into the water. Jesus has to grab him and drag him into the boat. And when he gets in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And the question we're trying to answer is the Son of God in this instance evidence that Jesus is created. Well, I think from the story itself, there's a pretty strong case for Jesus' deity. He's walking on water. He calms the storm when he gets in the boat. He helps Peter to walk on water. Okay, Jesus is not a man, certainly from the actions that take place in the story. He is much more than that, but there is something even more compelling about this verse that makes us think Jesus is God eternal. What is it, do you think, looking at this verse that would give us, yeah, Hutch, they worshipped him. Do you remember what happened in scripture when people tried to worship angels? Old and New Testament, the angels do not receive worship. All right, actually, it's kind of humorous. The apostle John, twice in Revelation, sees an angelic being, and he falls down and starts to worship him. And the angel's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Stand up. Worship God alone. So here, the Son of God is accepting worship as if he were God. And this means that either he is God or he is committing a grievous error in letting someone break the first commandment and receiving worship that is reserved for God alone. When even angels would say, no, don't worship me, Jesus says, yeah, come on. The Son of God here should be an indicator to us that Jesus is God. How about this verse? This takes place the last night of Jesus' life when he's on trial at Caiaphas' house. Finally, the high priest, after all these testimonies come forth, says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What other proof do we need? And because of this blasphemy, Jesus is sent to the cross. And what is especially interesting here is that the people's reaction to calling himself the Son of God and the Son of Man is what? Kill him. He's committed a blasphemy here. This is not, oh, I've been created by God. Well, we've all been created by God and no one wants to kill us for that by identifying himself as the Son of God, the Son of Man, something even more significant is happening here. And we get a little bit more of a glimpse of that in John chapter 19, when the Jews say, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, 
because he has made himself the Son of God. When Jesus identifies himself with the Son of God, people say, you should be put to death. Finally, we get one final clarification that just should eliminate any confusion we have about this title. In John chapter 5, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own Father, doing what? Making himself equal with God. And so we should conclude what then? Son of God does not mean you are God's offspring, you are God's son. What does it mean? It means you're God. It means you are equal with God. And this is why people responded so strongly to these claims. Jesus was not claiming to be made by God. He is claiming to be God. And to the Jews, that was blasphemous. There's other scriptures. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. It's quoting Psalm chapter 94, I believe, which says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. But the author of Hebrews takes this and applies that verse to whom? The Son. And it says the Son is God. And it's his throne that extends forever and ever. John 10, chapter 30, Jesus says this, I and the Father are one. Not I am lesser than the Father, not I am indwelt by the Father, but I and the Father are one. Jesus is God. Turn to John chapter 1 for perhaps the greatest proof of his deity. John chapter 1. Verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A couple things about the Word. He's been there since the beginning. He's with God. And in case there was any confusion, the Word was God. And we should be asking ourselves, okay then, who is this Word? John tells us, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse leaves no doubt. The Son is that Word, and the Word is God. So let me ask you, based off of the context of the previous, what, six, seven verses that we've looked at, does the title, Son of God, mean that Jesus is lesser than God, that he is a created being, that he is the Jesus of Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness. Is that what the scriptures are affirming? No. The scriptures are saying, this Jesus, this son, is God in the flesh. So how do we explain this title? I think Luke has a pretty good explanation for us in Luke chapter 135, when the angel is talking to Mary and describing what's happening to her, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And really, this title, Son of God, then, is a description of his divine origin. You see, Jesus is not the mere child of Joseph and Mary. The angel's making that clear. 
It is the power of the Most High. It is the Holy Spirit. That's why this child is going to be called the Son of God. It's his divine origin. Jesus is of God. Jesus is God. I hope that is clear to us. When you hear someone say, I think Jesus is created because he's God's son, take them to these scriptures and say, that is not at all what the scriptures are affirming. You, you are taking this phrase way out of context here. Scriptures say Jesus is God. How about this title, the firstborn of creation? Let's just turn there, Colossians chapter 1. I took you here last week. Colossians chapter 1. The second phrase in verse 15 reads this. Talking about Jesus. He's the firstborn of creation. And like we noted with this title, Son of God, that occurs 40 times in the New Testament, this title, firstborn, as it, re- as it um, applies to Christ, is used five, six times in the New Testament. So we should be able to look at any of these scriptures and say, Yeah, in all five or six of these instances, firstborn here means that Jesus is created, that he really is the first offspring of God. But rather than going to those passages, I want us to look at the context of this passage and say, is this really what Colossians 1 is describing? That Jesus is lesser than God? That he's the offspring of God? Let's find out. Verse 15 begins with this statement about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Notice what the text does not say about Jesus. It does not say that he was made in the image of God. That's who? That's us. We're made in the image of God. This says in verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And that's significant because John 1.18 tells us that no one has ever seen God. And yet Jesus is the image of God. Remember what Jesus says in John 14? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh. If you've seen Jesus, the image of God, you have seen God. So is this verse, verse 15, the first phrase here saying that Jesus being in the image of the invisible God means that he's created, that he's lesser than God. Is that what this is affirming? Not at all. It is saying that he is what we can see of God. He is God. Okay, then we have our phrase, the firstborn of all creation. Then we read in verse 16, for by him, still talking about Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and... For him. What is this telling us about Jesus? What attribute is this drawing our attention to? We would say Jesus is creator. Yeah. There's a bit of a logical exercise that is required with this verse here. Verse 16 says, for by him all things were created in heaven 
and on earth. But if Arians hold that Jesus is created by God, then they have to answer the question, did Jesus really create all things if he himself is created? Does that make sense? It says here, verse 16, for by him all things were created. Through Jesus, everything was created. And the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, but yes, Jesus is created. Doesn't really make sense. Is Jesus included in that all things? Did he create himself? John chapter 1 actually gets in on this um, argumentation here. It says, all things were made through him. And to clarify that even further, it says, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's like God knew that Jesus' deity would be questioned. It's like he knew that people would say, well, maybe Jesus was created. And he writes John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and says, listen, everything that exists, Jesus created it. To put it simply, if it's created, Jesus made it. There's two choices in front of us here. Either Jesus is the eternal creator God, or he falls into the camp of the description that he is one of the things that was created. That's where we're left, looking at these two verses. Either Jesus is God and created everything, or he's part of the all things that were created. And we would say Jesus is in which camp? He's creator God. He's not created. There's nothing that exists that Jesus did not make, including himself. He is eternal God. Both John and here in Colossians, Paul are saying Jesus is creator God. So is verse 16 talking about Jesus being somehow a created being? No, it's not. Look at verses 17 and 18. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. What are these passages of Scripture telling us about Jesus? To borrow from the text, that last sentence in verse 18, Jesus is preeminent. He is unmatched. He is supreme. He is at the top. Jesus is the beginning. These verses aren't telling us that Jesus is created. Look at verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. To see that reiterated in chapter 2, verse 9, if you want to turn there briefly, just turn the page. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, we read, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What is this verse telling us? Jesus is not just equipped by God. He's not just used by God, the whole fullness of God resided in Jesus. He is God. And verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1 reads, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. It's saying Jesus accomplished our redemption on the cross. Let me ask you, we've considered what, six verses now, 15 to 20, are these verses making a case for Jesus being created? For him being a lesser being than God? Quite the contrary. These verses are championing the fact that Jesus 
is God. He is unmatched. So what do we make of this one little tiny phrase right there in verse 15 that says he's the firstborn of creation? Does anyone want to take a stab at that? Having just heard these verses described briefly for us, what then do you think that firstborn in this instance means? Any ideas? Joan? Yeah. So not a offspring, like a sequential thing, maybe a title, a thing of superiority? I, certainly. I mean, look what Paul is saying here in verse 16. Let's read it again. Paul is making a case. Jesus is at the top, for by him all things were created. Verse 17, he is before all things. In him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn. We see that language again. He's the firstborn of the dead, meaning that he is gone before us in a death and resurrection so that we too, if we follow him in that, will have hope of eternal life. Jesus is preeminent. That's what the title firstborn is communicating here. It's a title of superiority. Uh, we, we can see this illustrated in a lesser extent in the Old Testament, that firstborn doesn't always mean that you were born first. Right? Remember Jacob and Esau? Technically, who was the firstborn? Esau was. And yet, who had the title of the firstborn? Who received the inheritance, the blessing? Jacob. So we could say the same thing for uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh was technically the firstborn. Yet it was Ephraim that was blessed as if he were. We could say the same thing for David. David is actually called the firstborn in the Psalms. Was David the firstborn? In sequence? In offspring? No, he wasn't. He was the least of his brothers. Firstborn is a title in this text of superiority of as the, I can't say it any better than the scriptures, Jesus is preeminent. He's at the top. Everything else bows the knee to him. While we're here in Colossians, let me just make the point to you that if someone throws out a phrase of scripture to you with no context and just says, yeah, this verse supports my belief, especially when this belief was condemned like 1,700 years ago by a church council. There should be no concern in your mind that oh, maybe they found the verse that we've never considered before. Maybe they're right about Jesus being created. Listen, our church fathers, like I said, 1,700 years ago, looked at this verse and said, read the context. This is championing the deity of Christ. In no way is this illustrating that he is created. People love to do this. They say, uh, judge not lest ye be judged. As if that's their trump card. I gotcha, you can't speak to my life at all. Let me live how I want. Uh, read two verses later. Jesus says, take the beam out of your own eye before you address the speck in someone else's. It's not at all saying, you can't tell me that I'm doing something wrong. It's saying, before you tell someone that they're doing something wrong, make sure that you are first blameless. That's what judge not lest ye be judged means. Jesus being the firstborn of creation does not at all mean that he is God's firstborn son. I just wanted to make that clear. People like to take these verses out of context. Read the context. Understand Jesus is God from Colossians chapter 1. Now up to this point, 
we have been dealing with some of the arguments that these cults would use. So we've kept our study of these verses pretty narrow. We've just kept it to verses that call Jesus the Son in relation to the Father. We've just talked about him being the firstborn of creation. We've been kind of playing on their turf, so to speak. And we've proved, even from the arguments that they use, that Jesus is God. But I wanted to take just a couple of minutes here and say, let's open up the whole scriptures and see what they conclude about Jesus. Let's not do battle on their turf anymore. Let's look at the whole counsel of God's word and see if he is God. Old and New Testament overwhelmingly conclude he is. Start off in John chapter 8. Jesus is talking here to the Jews about Abraham. And he says, you know, Abraham longed to see my day. And, and they're like, what? You're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? And Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And what Jesus is doing here is he is equating himself with the I am of the Old Testament, of Exodus, when in the burning bush, God reveals himself to Moses, and Moses says, what is your name? Who should I tell you has sent me? And what does God say? Tell them, I am has sent you. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. I am the Jehovah of the Old Testament. And the people's response should not surprise us. You know what they do upon hearing Jesus say these words? They pick up stones, and they're ready to kill him. They're under no confusion as to what Jesus is saying here. He has just equated himself with God. They pick up stones to kill him. Here's another text of scripture. John chapter 20, when the disciples are in the room and Thomas has been doubting this whole time about who Jesus, did he really rise from the dead? You guys all saw him, but I didn't. Come on. I won't believe till I touch the nail prints in his hands and the spear in his side and Jesus appears. And what does Thomas say about him? My Lord and my God. Thomas isn't confused about who Jesus is. He says, you're God. We've got two verses back to back here both of which equate Jesus with God and Titus, Paul says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's God and Savior. Peter says the same thing. To those who have, tamed, have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus is both God and Savior. There's no doubt Philippians chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was God from before time began, emptied himself and became a man, was reinstated to the glory he once knew. Jesus is God. 
The Old Testament, I said, gets in on this. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Old Testament knows Jesus is God. Revelation, they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. I believe these are titles that are attributed to God, and they are also attributed to Jesus. The same is true of Revelation chapter 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus says, a title that is God's alone, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There should be this resounding echo in your mind. Jesus is God. The scripture does not make any allowance for any other conclusion. He's God alone. So what are some of the implications then of Jesus being God? Unlike Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, and other religions that teach a works-based system of salvation that adds something to Jesus, because Jesus is God, he is sufficient to save us from our sins. The sacrificial system proved to be insufficient. We're always offering these lambs and goats and sacrifices. We need something better. We need something permanent. And God provided the solution It was his son, the son of God, who is God. And we read this in a couple passages of scripture. 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hebrews chapter 9 just elaborates this on a little bit further and talking about Jesus says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus secured our redemption, not just momentarily, but an eternal redemption. He offered himself once for all and is now seated at the right hand of God. The sacrifice of the Son of God is sufficient to save us from our sins. It does not require anything else. What's another implication of the deity of Christ? He's deserving of our obedience. If Jesus is just a nice teacher, if he's just a nice man, then we can read the Gospels in the New Testament and say, I could take or leave some of this. But if Jesus is God, and he's speaking with the authority of God, then when he speaks, we listen, and we obey. We do. Finally, if Jesus is God, then he is worthy of our worship. Right? The Jehovah's Witnesses say, eh, Jesus isn't God. He's not deserving of our worship. But if he is truly God, we should worship him as God. And we know all of creation as Revelations describes it. Myriad upon myriad, this heavenly host is singing worthy and honor to the Lamb. And one day we will join in that chorus. I bet we cannot wait for the day in which we will see our Savior, in which we will see God in the flesh 
Jesus Christ and fall on our face and worship him. Let me just remind you, Jesus is God. And when you have people, like I said last week, who might come to your door and try to tell you something different or teach a Jesus that requires works to save you, you should know we're not talking about the same Jesus here. The Jesus of the scriptures is God eternal. And his blood is sufficient to save me from my sins. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that you did not just create a savior for us to come and take care of the dirty work that sin had created, but you sent the second member of the Godhead, your son, to reconcile us to yourself. He bore our sins on the cross and suffered for us. Lord, I pray that we would hold tightly to this doctrine that you, that Jesus, rather, is God, all-powerful, creator, eternal. And let us have discernment necessary to refute those who would say otherwise. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.